Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to a life of peace. Coming up on today's Simple Truths. All wretched men that I am, who shall deliver me? Not what, who? Who is he? He's Jesus Christ. He took pain for me. He became sin for me. He took God's wrath for me. Then he died for me. Faith has an object. The faith that allows me to live this particular life as a son of God, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. How do you measure success? A lot of cars? A home of your own? A powerful job? Well, the Bible describes success as a life not necessarily including the things of the world, but full of the things of the Spirit. And the things of the Spirit do not inevitably go hand in hand with the things of the world. Let's join Pastor Xavier for today's important Bible study on living a different kind of life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the message is entitled, Living the Crucified Life. The Bible tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that. Jesus also tells us that he came to give us life and life more abundantly in John 10.10. Now, allow me to propose to you that in view of these two scriptures, God declares that every believer, male and female, has a new potential of life by virtue of being in Christ, living by faith. In other words, what God can accomplish through you, you could have never, would have never been able to do if you had not come to Christ. I'm not talking about being an engineer. I'm not talking about being a doctor. I'm talking about life in the spirit. But how much more will your natural abilities and talents and your direction in life be enhanced as you put them in the master's hand? The question that we need to ask ourselves is how can we live up to our potential? Paul gives us three principles that will allow us to live up to our potential in our life of faith in Christ here in Galatians 2.20. Let me read it for you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Three principles that will help us accomplish our potential. First, the principle of death. I have been crucified with Christ. Second principle, the principle of life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Then the third principle, the principle of love, the last portion, who loved me and gave himself for me. The principle of death, principle of life, principle of love. Here's the formula, three simple principles. Let's begin with the principle of death. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. If we are going to live up to our potential, we have to acknowledge that we have been crucified with Christ. Our old man is to be reckoned dead daily, Romans 6, 11 says. He has been crucified, and he's got to be put to death every day. He doesn't lie down willingly. He doesn't lie down by himself. He has to be crucified daily. Let me call your attention to the words of Jesus about his cross and living up to our potential, okay? These are important. In Matthew 10, 38 and 39, the cross is identified with Christ 
in the gaining of one's life. He says, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses life for my sake will find it. So the cross identified with Christ and the gaining of one's life. When I identify with Christ and lose my life, I gain it. Matthew 16, 24. To pick up your cross, you must lose sight of yourself. Real simple. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself is first. That means lose sight of yourself. The reason we don't pick up our cross is we're still on the throne. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked to the rich man, remember? He loved him. And he says, one thing you lack, because he said, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. What do I have to do to be saved? He says, go your way, sell all what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come and take up your cross and follow me. Notice, take up your cross and follow me is in all of these verses I'm giving you. In different conditions, different scenario. Did Jesus want the money of the rich man? Of course not. He pays heaven with gold. <laughs> what did he want? He wanted his heart. He wanted the young man's heart. If he would have said, all right, Jesus, keep him. Follow me. And he will touch the very heart of your life. He told Abraham, sacrifice me your only son. Whoa. Interesting. Because we can get weird sometimes, right? We say God is God, he's king. But really, it's sitting out in the parking lot taking two parking stalls, right? Or it's a bank account, it's a house, a wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, career, education. Your fig newtons in the refrigerator, nobody touches, right? Whatever it is. Luke 14, 25 through 27, the cross means love for Christ above all others. Listen to him. Listen, this is radical. Now great multitude went to him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Here's this repeated phrase again. Now, if you're going to be able to love your mother, father, brother, so on and so forth, the way you should, you must get the love from God first. Love him, and then you'll be able to impart it. But if anybody's put on the throne before God, that love is contaminated, it's very conditional, it's very shortcoming. That's what he's teaching. He's not telling you you have to hate your parents. Of course, I love my parents more now than ever before. Why? Because now I'm alive. Now I know what life's about. The principle of death is foundational for spiritual living. Death, that has to be first or nothing will happen. Now notice the second principle of life. That's everything in between till the last little clause. If we are going to live the life of Christ, it is in this world, not the next. Okay? We're real practical. I am called to live that life now, not in heaven. Right here, where the rubber meets the road. Notice, first of all, the life that I, I live is no longer I who live it, but Christ lives in me, it says. This implies that the present reality is a total submission to the person of Jesus Christ. His purposes, his will, who in fact lives in me as Lord. I obey. I submit. Not when I feel like it. Not when it's convenient. All the time. Husbands, love your wives. Straight across. Not if she doesn't burn the food. Not if she doesn't insult you. You love them. 
Now modern day comes around and says that women have a left brain and men think with the right brain and all this stuff and now we're able to compensate and so now, oh great, so now we can understand why we're supposed to love our wife where we just concentrate on our left brain instead of our right brain and all that, that's all junk. <laughs> Most of us don't have any brains at all. <laughs> you do it by obedience, trusting the spirit to do it. No longer do I simply live to please myself but others and the Lord, Romans 15, 1 and 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 are a couple of things you might look at. I live to serve others. It's easy to serve myself. That comes natural. No longer can I say no and Lord in the same sentence. You remember Peter up in Joppa as he's praying and he falls asleep or he gets his vision? Our prayer in Acts 10, 14, and Jesus says, take, kill, and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. Oh, bad, bad boy, Peter. You never say no, Lord. If he's Lord, you say yes. Whether you feel like it, whether you understand it, whether it makes sense to you, whether it seems outlandish, God is not the author of confusion. And he'll always verify what he tells you through his word. Never add to it, never contradict it, never oppose it. God is a God of order. God is a God of his word. Notice, secondly, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This implies a mindset, a personal commitment to the will to trust God for the new life. It's a commitment to trust Him for the new life. I can't do it. I trust Him. I now live in the flesh, meaning this physical body. I do this here and now, today, a day at a time in this physical body where I experience daily warfare and difficulties. Reality. Let me read you Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Two books over. Paul says, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He's talking about all well, this in this body. He hasn't arrived. If you arrive, you'll be in heaven. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. There's that principle again. Don't drive forward looking backwards. I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, conclusion, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God may reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree which we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mindset. He's saying, act your age, Christian. I see a Christian who's two years in the Lord be growing in maturity. Are you 20 years in the Lord? Great. You're mature. Are you 25, 30, 40 years? You're a spiritual gray head. Let's see some of that wisdom. That's all Paul is saying. But also it implies a manner of life. I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith is based on believing and trusting the revelation of God's word. Not some self-imposed ritual or outlandish belief that contradicts God's word. Sometimes people look at people and they go out there, they isolate themselves in some monastery or some cave, and you know, and they die and they did themselves so-called, uh, and, and they, they give up everything, and they're just out there meditating and, and just, you know, chanting or whatever, and we go, man, he has faith. No, no, no. That's foolishness. Faith, biblical faith, is always based on God's revelation. If what you are practicing is not based on God's word, it's foolishness. They start with the same letter, but they're two different words. Faith must be based on biblical revelation. If God would have said, the way to salvation is for you to come and yell your name before me, tap yourself on the forehead three times, jump up, and before you hit the ground, say, hallelujah, and you're saved. That was his revelation. That is what he would honor. 
He honors his word above his name, the Bible tells us. So biblical faith is always based on revelation in context. In its context, very important. Everything else is foolishness that brings glory to self. Makes people, oh, isn't he spiritual? Faith has an object. The faith that allows me to live this particular life as a son of God, Jesus Christ. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Now what? Who? Who is he? He's Jesus Christ. I'm confident in who he is, and I trust him. Confidence and trust in what he accomplished at the cross in my place. He died for me. He took pain for me. He became sin for me. He took God's wrath for me. Then he died for me. If I am going to live up to my potential in Christ, I need to live in obedience to his lordship. Remember Matthew 7, 21 through 23? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, may many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And in that context of that chapter, he says, the one who builds his house on the rock is the one who obeys my word. The one who builds on the sand is the one who disobeys my word. So don't say that your house is built on the rock because you're a Christian or because you've been saved. The key to building your house on the rock is that you obey God's word because the storms are going to come. The floods are going to come. And when they do come, you will be the first to know whether your house is built on the rock or the sand by your obedience. It's not just a creed, not just, oh, I believe Jesus, oh, he's my savior. No, the rock is your obedience. If you're obedient to the word of God, then your house is built on the rock. If you're not, your house is built on the sand. And time will reveal it. If I'm going to live up to my potential, I need to be as three people in scripture that are given to us in metaphors. First of all, the athlete. He disciplines his body. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, right? I compete at a university level from high school on. I know what it is to be an athlete. I know what it is to work out hard. I know what it is to deny yourself. I know what it is to be working out when people are partying. I know what it is to deny myself, even as a natural man, because I wanted that crown. Now, how much more as a Christian am I to be like an athlete for the Lord? To get in shape spiritually. I had to be in shape. I did 20, about 20 routines in gymnastics a day to build wind, to build coordination, everything else. Hands bleed, everything else doesn't matter. You pack them with chalk, you get up there. You get up there, you mess up, you fall, get the wind knocked out, it's okay, you get up, you do it again. What drove me? The trophy, the medal, the parade. <laughs> How much more in Christ? Study. Pray, obey. Second is a soldier. He pleases a superior. He endures hardness as a good soldier. Second Timothy 3, 3 through 4 says. A soldier's not out there in the foxhole thinking about if, if his insurance is paid or not. He's got one thing in mind, the enemy. He's got one thing in mind, to obey orders. And he's very aware he can die any day, any second. Thirdly is a farmer. 2 Timothy 2.6, he trusts God to produce a harvest so he'd be the first partaker and then he can give out. He gets up early, he stays up late, he works hard. But the bottom line is he knows that if God doesn't give good weather, he has no harvest, right? And he knows that bad times will come, but he doesn't blame God, right? He trusts him. Whoa. 
Those three people will help you understand your Christian obligation to be spiritually fit. The athlete, the soldier, the farmer. Christ does all things and strengthens me in what he wants me to do. Philippians 4.13 says, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That does not mean that I can do anything I want. I do what God calls me to do because the calling comes with the enabling. The enabling comes with the calling. If he has me to go through a difficult time in life, he gives me the ability. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, he will never allow me to be tested more than I'm able, but with every testing, show me the way of escape, right? God doesn't cause to frustrate us, right? It's whether I will die to self and take the way of escape or say no. The choice is mine. So the principle of life is a result of what? Death to self. You want to live? You have to die, man. Trust me, you have to die. You'll be the greatest day in your life when you die. <laughs> There's a party in heaven. The last is the principle of love. It's real simple, real short, real basic. It's at the end. Who loved me and gave himself for me. If we are going to live up to our potential, it will be effective through God's love. It will be effective through God's love. Notice, first of all, God initiated his love towards sinners. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? Now, listen to me well. God did not save us by his love. His love could not save us in and of itself. Okay? Your son's in jail. You love him dearly. You would die for him. But your love cannot get him out of jail. But your love can be the motive to go through the channels that can get him out of jail. But your love can't get him out. It's the motive. God's love is the motive that prompted God to make the way for our salvation. God saved us by what? By his grace, which is manifested through Jesus Christ's son. God loves the sinner, but he can do nothing for the sinner just out of love. He had to make a way so that love could be communicated, could benefit the sinner. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. 1 John 4.10. God is the initiator of salvation. Man is the responder of salvation always. And after the cross, God still always initiates, and I always respond. When I obey, I'm responding to his word. He initiated Always. God's love is distinct from man's love in that it is unconditional and does not disqualify as man does. Man says, I don't want him. I don't want her. You think God says, oh, no, 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 we can't let him in. Ooh, he's done this little big sin here. No way. Reputation of heaven. Just go to pot. <laughs> God's love is unconditional. But God's love is also conditional. Listen to the condition. It is true and correct that God's love for sinners is unconditional. But their sin hinders God from imparting the benefits of his love to them. So it is necessary for the sinner to repent of his or her sin, trusting Jesus Christ as a sacrifice in their place. Faith and grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. There's the condition. 
God's love is very conditional. If you do not repent, his love cannot help you. It cannot benefit you. So God's love is conditional for salvation. But he doesn't look at your appearance, doesn't look at your past. He can handle all that. You must repent or you never see the kingdom of God. Secondly, God verifies his love in a tangible way, giving himself. Look at it right there, the verse. For when we were still without strength, Paul says, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. He gave himself for us. Now, I, I presume you qualify. You're ungodly, right? We all qualify this morning. The son was sent and became the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours alone, but for the whole world, 1 John 2, 2 and 4, 10 says. The sacrifice that appeased God's wrath, the, the sacrifice that paid the payment in my place. The son laid down his own life willfully and willingly, John 10, 17 through 18 says. Therefore, my father loves me because I laid down my life. I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself and I have power to lay it down and to take it up again. This command have I received of my father. Well, he did it. Jesus illustrates this principle of love when he washed the disciples' feet in John 13, 15, right? What were they arguing about again? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? The dirty dozen. Always concerned with self. He got tired of it. He washed their feet. He says, I've given you an example. Listen to this poem. They say the world is round, and yet I often think it's square. So many little hurts we get from corners here and there. But there's one truth in life I found while journeying east and west. The only folks we really wound are those we love the best. We flatter those who we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guest and deal for many a thoughtless blows to those we love the best. Interesting. If we have not love, agape love, God's love, we say nothing, we are nothing, we benefit no one in anything. Love for self is worse than death, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. You say nothing, you're nothing, you benefit no one. That includes Christians. If we yield to God's love, we will be walking in the spirit, a choice of the will, to manifest the fruit of what? The spirit. Agape love, Galatians 5, 22. It's singular. One fruit, agape love. Everything else is a manifestation of it. It's not eight fruits, one fruit. Let me tell you, when you yield to God's agape love, your life will flourish, it'll blossom, and everybody else around you, and it will cause you to die to self. You will never live until you love. And I'm not talking about a sexual experience. I'm not talking about something just for yourself. I'm talking about God's love. It'll make your love flourish. Your emotional love for your wife, for your, for your friends, your, your sexual love as husband and wife, it'll all perk up. Why? Because it's God's love. It's no longer perverted. It's no longer selfish. It's no longer self, but it's others first. It's able to humble itself and say, you know, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, use me as an extension of you. Whoa! That's Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The principle of love is the life of Christ in me as I give myself to him and him alone. If you're going to live up to your potential... You must be crucified daily. The principle of death is foundational for spiritual living and straight across the board for everybody. You must let Christ live through you. The principle of life is a result of what? Death to self. A day at a time, man. If you yield to God's love, the principle of agape love is, is the life of Christ in me and in you. As I give, as you give yourself to Him. But if you really examine the crucified life described by these three principles to allow us to live to the potential of our life and faith in Christ, 
They are merely what? Principles of sowing and reaping in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, right? If you sow to your flesh, you will get a bumper crop. Honest. If you sow to the Spirit, oh, you'll get one too. You want to live up to your potential? Live the crucified life in the Spirit. Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to living a blessed life, a life that is available to all who surrender. And you can pick up a copy of this message, Living the Crucified Life, for only $4 on CD. And this will also include everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So, once again, the title to ask for is Living the Crucified Life. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. The gospel is full of hope for those who are willing to surrender. More on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 